Oh, great Lord. My great, great Lord. It's Bob here. I just can't thank you enough. You got to know that your name got me into so many doors. Jesus, thank you so much. With your words, I helped millions feel good and in return, got millions and it felt good. Thanks to you, demons obeyed my every command. Sickness couldn't survive my hands. What a rush. All that power, I was the man. Thank you so much. By the way, this place is decked out. Every atom lavishly laden in golden hues. The sheer cost of it all just screams at you. I can see now that we do, in fact, have the same taste. Really, my man, thank you so much. I can't wait to see what this kingdom thing's all about. You know, I used to think that it was uh, a bit of a fairy tale, but uh, happy to see that I was wrong. So, where do I, uh, where do I go now, huh? I can, I can see a large celebration thingy over there. Bob, you abuser of my name. You prophet of false hope. You arrogant hedonist, you penniless and desolate soul, you wicked and useless servant, get away from me now. Dear God, I uh, ask that today as we uh, study your word, as we uh, look at this passage in Matthew 7, that, um, that you would help us to see the truth and um, that you would challenge us through the Spirit uh, in the way that we think, in the way that... Uh, our current mindset, our current worldview, our current way of interpreting scripture is uh, structured. Um, Lord, we want to have the truth. We want to be inspired and encouraged by the truth, not by what we want to believe or what makes us feel good in the moment, but what is truly beneficial uh, for eternity, something that gives us life um, today and forever. So uh, I ask, Lord, that uh, you would help us as we look through the word um, and uh, teach us what uh, you have to say in this passage. Thanks for joining me today. Um, now, last week we talked about eternal life, and uh, this week we're going to continue that thought a little bit in going into something related. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a darker, th- a little bit of a darker subject, though today. Um, whereas last week we talked about eternal life, talked about being Jesus' friend, enjoying uh, a deep, intimate relationship with him. This episode, we're going to look at uh, the opposite side of that. What happens when you aren't his friend, when you don't, um, when you don't uh, seek after eternal life and more of it. So we're going to continue following that thread as we look into another passage that mentions ginosko in relation to God. So instead of working at a doctrine for a whole concept like eternal life, we're just going to tackle an interpretation of one passage, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the first question that we have is what have been the traditional interpretations of this passage? Um, I believe that many have taken this passage to communicate uh, what I would call a justification truth and uh, that the people Jesus is referring to in this passage are not saved, uh, but are excluded from eternal salvation. And some of the reasons why they've uh, 
come up with this interpretation would be on the basis of three troublesome phrases that occur within this text. Enter the kingdom, I never knew you, and depart from me. And uh, some have reasoned that works ultimately are a necessary element of your life, either to prove you're saved or to actually merit salvation. Those tend to be two opposite poles of a lot of theology uh, that we see today. But if we were to, to agree with this, then we'd run into a major doctrinal problem in the light of verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, also Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out onto us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, I mean, also, I mean, you could look at uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, but also there's a clear focus of uh, the Apostle John's gospel. We talked about last week that John um, seems to be the foremost expert, if you will, on uh, a relationship with God, a very the very beginning of your relationship with God, a justification truth. We see that John uses the word pistuo, uh, f- the word for believe in Greek, a hundred times in his book. So per- I'm personally not convinced that uh, this passage teaches the truth that we have to work to be saved. Um, some others have suggested that the will of the Father is not necessarily righteous deeds, but simply believing in Jesus for salvation. And they like to use the the verse John 640 uh, to talk about that. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, But as we worked out last episode, eternal life is a description of our knowledge or intimacy, ginosko, with God, and not necessarily an indicator of our justification. Sometimes it may do that, but, but that's not the point of the phrase eternal life. And whereas this verse in John definitely describes one desire that the Father has, that everyone who believes should enjoy an intimacy of relationship with the Father and the Son, it doesn't help us identify what God's desire is in our Matthew 7 passage. Uh, as we'll see in a bit, there are many instances of the phrase the will of God or the will of the Father that in many instances describe his desire for us to live righteously. So I'm not convinced by this interpretation either that um, this passage is teaching, again, a justification truth, but instead of justification by deeds, it's justification by faith. Uh, So I'm going to suggest an alternate interpretation to this passage, which I believe to have the least amount of holes uh, in all of the interpretations that I've come across, uh, the least amount of holes in light of other scriptures, like the the scriptures we brought up earlier, Um, that this passage, that the people in this passage uh, are actually saved, regenerated saints, that Jesus is not threatening permanent exclusion from eternal salvation, but more of a temporary exclusion from some reward or joyful joyful experience uh, in the end times. And that being known by the Father or the Son is a statement of favor and pride and not one of relationship or salvation. So to start out our study, we're just going to go piece by piece in these three small verses. It's a pretty small passage to begin with. So we're just going to tear this passage into bite-sized sections and dig deep into each little 
peace. Uh, we're going to start with verse 21, the very beginning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So I'm going to start a little bit out of order, and I'm going to go with the, the second uh, piece of this verse. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So first we've got to look at perhaps the most important noun in, in this phrase, which is the word translated in English as will, the will of God the Father. That word for will in Greek is thelema. And so I'd like to first clarify that um, this word for will is one of two words that are usually translated as will in the Greek. Um, there's a word thelema, this is the word that appears here, and another word bulamai, uh, which appears in other places. Simply, thelema means desire. In general, whenever you see the word thelema in the Greek, it's a safe bet to translate that word as desire. Um, whereas the word bulamai comes with more of a connotation of desire, but with a plan. Like, uh, it's not just simply a desire, but a desire with a plan behind it to accomplish that desire. Uh, in this verse, Jesus, is, Jesus uses thelema, which tells us that he's referring to what the, what the Father simply wants, what, what God the Father desires. Luckily, in this instance, the phrase will of the Father or sometimes will of God or will of him, appears around 50 times in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And for those of you who want to dig deep like me into the nitty-gritty details, I'll include a list of all those instances I found of this will of God phrase or, you know, similar versions of it in the show notes so that you can do your own research and uh, follow our investigation together. In my findings, though, not a single one of these instances of God's will refer to believing in Jesus to be saved. Every single one seems to refer to the way God desires us to live in this life. Uh, like we talked about earlier, this is a bit troublesome, right? Because now it seems like Jesus is saying that we have to do good in this life to be with him in the kingdom in the next life. Uh, we got to dig deeper into what enter the kingdom really means. All right, so now I'm going to go back to the first piece. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So first part, not everyone, which seems to imply that um, some saying Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. It's not necessarily about the Lord, Lord part. It's about something else. Um, so those saying Lord, Lord, we need to ask, what does saying Lord, Lord imply? Um, one interesting thing to notice about this group of people is that they aren't simply calling out to Jesus as if he's just like a last resort name drop, but uh, they're instead referring to him as Lord, uh, the word kudie kudie. Um, the next observation we could make is that Jesus is making a clear distinction between those who call him Lord and those that do the will of the Father, meaning that God's will is more than just calling Jesus Lord. There's something else that God desires to enter the kingdom. Uh, so to me, it would seem weird that um, someone who wasn't honestly revering Christ would refer to him as master or king over him. Um, there's a, a lot of similarity between this passage and the passage of the ten virgins, also in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 25. Um, and uh, if you stay tuned for the episode of Behind the Price, we'll talk about a lot of those uh, similarities. But uh, moving forward, so here's where we get to the perhaps the most troublesome phrase of the whole thing, will enter the kingdom of heaven. As we saw in the second part of the verse, the next part after this, Jesus qualifies this entrance into the kingdom by doing the will of my Father, the will of the Father in heaven. 
if enter the kingdom means simply being physically allowed into the coming kingdom, aka being saved, then Jesus is clearly teaching that to be saved, we got to do works. As we've mentioned previously, there are a number of scriptures that would seem to contradict this idea, so I'm not convinced that what, that's what he's saying. Uh, therefore, I suggest the next logical step is to determine if enter the kingdom could realistically mean something else uh, that wouldn't cause our entire soteriology, the study of salvation, um, to fall apart. So this phrase, enter the kingdom, appears in three other passages throughout Matthew. It appears elsewhere throughout um, the Bible, but we're going to stick with Matthew for now. Um, And uh, so the three passages that we see where this occurs is we see this first in chapter 5, then in chapters 18 and 19. So if we look at chapter 5, around verse 17, we'll see, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Jesus is talking, by the way, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then we look at uh, chapter 18, um, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And finally, Um, immediately after Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler, which we talked about last episode in relation to eternal life, he brings up this concept of entering the kingdom in chapter 19. Verse 23, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who then could be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. So clearly, this concept of eternal life and entrance into the kingdom are related, um, as we see in this passage particularly. But remember, eternal life is not the same as going to heaven. It's simply an indicator of how tight you and God are. Uh, And remember how Jesus says you can get eternal life in this conversation with the ruler um, through righteousness. In fact, at every single one of the passages we just read, entrance into the kingdom is qualified by doing some form of righteousness. We see in chapter 5, that your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, In chapter 18, you see that you have to humble yourself like a child to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, but also to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in the passage we just read, um, 
Entering the kingdom of heaven is qualified by um, leaving houses, brothers, sisters, mother. I mean, giving up everything, basically. So knowing that we are not saved by works, but faith alone, we have to understand now that this entrance into the kingdom is something other than being justified. Otherwise, we got a major problem with not just one passage like Matthew 7, but all of these passages we just read. Every single one of them qualifies entering the kingdom with being righteous. Moving on to the second verse, verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So starting with the first one, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Uh, The first question I have is, what day is that day? Um, Which day are these people calling out to Jesus, Lord, Lord? And uh, looking through the immediate context doesn't yield anything too promising, but it's clear that this day was not at the time Jesus was talking, but instead some future date and time when all this would transpire. And uh, so for now, let's just say that this day is the day when this group of people will seek entrance into the kingdom, whenever that is. Uh, The second piece, did we not prophesy in your name? Um, If we look at the beginning of 1 John 4, we read uh, John talking to uh, those who he sent the letter to, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So we see here that prophesying in Jesus' name doesn't seem to be conducive to being a false prophet. Um, This group of people not only called out to Jesus as Lord, which is already uh, weird for a group of people who aren't regenerated, but but they prophesied on earth in his name. Uh, And we move on casting out demons. I'm immediately uh, reminded of Acts 19. Um, We see in Acts 19 verses 13 to 16 that there are seven non-believing Jews trying to exercise demons in Jesus' name, but it didn't work. It seemed, uh, seems pretty obvious to me from the passage that it's not enough to simply use Jesus' name to have his power, but to actually be connected to him through the Holy Spirit in some way. So if this group of people calling out Lord, Lord, weren't really regenerated believers, how could they possibly have successfully cast out demons? And finally, the last part of this verse, and do many mighty works in your name. So at this point, uh, we have to take a moment and recognize that they've mentioned Jesus' name three times in a row. Your name, your name, your name. We did these things in your name. We did these things in your name. We did these things in your name. These people are clearly banking on Jesus in his name to grant them entrance into the kingdom. So the fact that they aren't allowed entrance into the kingdom means there's something more that Christ is looking for. And uh, the last part of this particular uh, verse, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, some may say, as we look in the last, uh, the last section, they did these things, these things, these things, that this group of people were deceived and did not actually do any of the things that they claimed to have done. But the problem with that is that there's no denial of their claims anywhere in this passage. Uh, interestingly enough, nowhere in Jesus' response do we see a no, you didn't kind of claim. It would have been so simple and clear if Jesus had simply said something like, no, you lie. You didn't do these things. That's why you're not getting in. Uh, Another interesting thought would be that um, if these dudes really didn't do any of the things they claimed, but were lying, 
that would take a striking amount of hubris. I mean, none of this is uh, particularly strong biblical evidence, but, but it's just something to think about. Um, if they are, in fact, liars, then they would have to stand in front of Jesus just after he finished raising the earth at the Battle of Armageddon as the New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. He's about to establish his reign as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, over the entire world. And, and they'd have to stand in front of him, such a mighty display of unimaginable power, and, and have the gall to lie to his face. The, the, the depart from me phrase, I'm going to skip over this for a moment, and I'm going to cover it later in the next episode of Behind the Price. Um, so stay tuned for that when that comes out. But moving on to you workers of lawlessness. Now, this is, to me, this is the, the crux of the entire passage. This is the qualifying factor to entering the kingdom. Earlier, we determined that there's something missing that this group had or didn't have that uh, kept them from entering the kingdom, whatever that means. And uh, it seems to be, according to this part of the verse, that they lived lawlessly. And that word for lawlessness in the Greek is anomia, without law. And uh, if we look at 1 John 3, 4, we see that uh, John pretty much equates sin with lawlessness. Um, Perhaps it's another way to just say sin. So they're workers of sin. Now, this particular phrase, um, workers of lawlessness, appears only in Matthew 7, this passage that we're looking at in the New Testament. But it appears... 36 times in the Old Testament Septuagint, and uh, interestingly enough, only in the Psalms. Now, I don't know what that means yet. I just thought I'd bring that up, and maybe we'll talk more about it in the episode of Behind the Price. And uh, finally, as we look at this uh, last um, piece we haven't touched yet, I never knew you. I never knew you. By living this lawless lifestyle, many people will have disqualified themselves from being known by Jesus. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I don't think that this statement is one of, you are not saved, um, but instead one of, you are not my friend. Like we looked last week, that word, the word for no doesn't necessarily indicate um, there is absolutely no relationship whatsoever. They're not saved possibly at all. Um, it's more of a description of depth of intimacy. How close are we? I never knew you to me means you're not my friend. You didn't do anything in this life on earth to be my friend. And one last thought that I'll uh, leave you with is that um, a lot of the language used in this passage is really similar to another passage that occurs in Matthew that we've uh, perhaps mentioned once or twice uh, in this episode already, and that's the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, So hang around for the episode of the Behind the Price, uh, because I'll bring up more study on this particular phrase, I never knew you, um, and the one depart from me uh, next week or so. So finally, here's where I'm going to tell you what I think it means. And um, here's what I think it means. When Christ returns to the earth the second time, which we'll talk about in the future as well, bringing with him the kingdom of heaven, there will be some among his church that will expect to enjoy an abundant and grand entrance into the new kingdom, but will be rejected that kind of entrance because they did not follow Christ an example of selfless discipleship. So as we close out today, I uh, would love it if you would enjoy uh, today's original piece of music titled 50, uh, which is inspired by this idea of making ourselves known to God. This passage that we looked at, it's a bit of a frightening, maybe a darker subject, what it looks like when you don't um, 
do the will of the Father and what happens. But um, with this song, I hope to bring a little bit more of the hopeful perspective of what you get when you do the will of the Father. Um, when you ask, when you come before Christ and say, Lord, Lord, and that you have uh, lived according to what he's asked and uh, you get to enter the kingdom in the way that uh, is grand. I hope when I'm 50 life still matters Sport and smiles set on sky This rough path before me has only been walked on by faceless brothers and a faceless model. I'm seeking the highest significance and it's all I have to dream of it. I know it is my time I'll get to go through. It all comes down
So I hope you enjoyed uh, that tune. It's uh, like every song I show on this uh, podcast. It's a work in progress. Um, but uh, if you happen to enjoy it, you can grab the current draft of that song, the one you just heard, um, somewhere in the show notes. I'll link it uh, for a free download. And um, you can follow me on uh, social media and stuff uh, if you want to keep up with uh, the final draft whenever I you know, finish the song properly. And I'll also probably uh, mention it on this podcast somewhere. So uh, if you'd like to subscribe, uh, you can get that information when it comes out. So let me close this out in prayer real quick. God, um, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I want to thank you, God, that you're a God that um, connects with us personally. Um, you exist in our presence. Um, though at this point in time, we may, we may not be able to experience you with our physical senses, um, there's definitely, you do not leave us alone. And uh, through your spirit, you certainly don't leave us alone to, to a lack of truth, a lack of knowledge. Um, through the word and through the Holy Spirit, God, I believe that um, you continually help us to, uh, to glean the truth. Um, and not just the truth for truth's sake, but the truth gives us life. And so, Lord, I ask, um, as we continue to pontificate, as we continue to allow this topic and many different interpretations and thoughts and questions we have about this passage in Matthew um, kind of marinate in our mind over the next couple of weeks, I pray that you'd speak to each, each one of us, um, that, uh, that you would help us to come to the objective, ultimate truth about what you're talking about. What was the point of Jesus saying these things? And, um, and what do we need to do to, to live in light of it? Thank you so much for who you are, God, and um, and I pray over everyone listening on t- uh, to this podcast right now um, that you would help them with whatever they're dealing with today, um, and uh, that you would show yourself to them um, in some small or large way so that they can be encouraged that they are not alone and uh, that you love them. So thanks so much, guys, for listening to today's episode. As always, you can grab a copy of the poem and music uh, and any study materials in the show notes document for this episode um, linked in the description. If you liked what you heard, please consider sharing this episode with someone you treasure. Always remember that you can tweet questions or comments to me at Price of Life Podcast on Twitter, uh, same handle for Instagram, or email me at fanny at cgmradio.com. And uh, maybe I'll make an episode out of uh, whatever question or thought that you share with me. Um, Otherwise, we can just have a conversation. I'd love to talk. So please send me your deepest questions about God and life, and we can work together to find the answers through scripture and prayer. If you disagree with my analysis, or there are questions you still have about the teaching or the art in today's episode, stay tuned for the corresponding episode of Behind the Price, which is the show where we continue the conversation on uh, whatever we talked about today. I also want to make sure to thank my brothers and sisters at Cross Network Global Media for the love and supporting me to keep the show running. Uh, The show would not be possible without their help. And today I wholeheartedly recommend checking out one of Price of Life's sister shows, Faith, Culture, and Reason, uh, with hosts Dr. Melissa Travis and Daryl Youngblood. Um, A couple of weeks ago they released their first episode introducing themselves and talking about the marriage of scientific dis- discussion and expressing our faith in God. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for more in a couple of weeks.